Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real with you for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better? You really can do it, but nobody is going to do it for you. Nobody is going to push you out of bed to work out. Nobody is going to make you eat better. But here's the thing. Nobody has to. Because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. Two and a half million people, each doing the Beachbody program that fits our own goals. Over 80 to choose from. Some that take just 20 minutes a day. Nutrition plans that teach you how to eat healthy and still enjoy food. What we all have in common is we know it's not easy. So we help each other. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. That's why I'm inviting you to try our amazing Beachbody fitness and nutrition programs. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. I've confronted hundreds of men over two decades. I have been in television for 24 years. I just came to get something to eat. And I have very seldom been at a loss for words. I just came to get something to eat. Men online looking for children to sexually assault. What's the motive here? It's, Explain to me. I'm no, not you're right. No, you're right. It's stupid. It's, it's not. It's an illegal no. thing. Yeah, I know. I did a stupid thing. Men from all walks of life. A doctor. A teacher. A clergyman. You sent pornographic pictures through the mail. Okay, that's a federal offense right there. You know I'm in trouble, and I know I'm in trouble. I tried to get into their heads and understand why. Pizza we have tonight. Uh, I, I, I want to know who you are. I want to know a little bit more about you first. Can I eat first? Sure, go ahead. Let's see if any of this sounds familiar while you enjoy your pizza. And ultimately, make sure they face justice. You ask her if she's a virgin. I ask everybody all kinds of stuff. It's just talk. You ask her if she's horny. What's wrong with that? You ask if she does anal. It's a question. Question. Who are they? Have they tried to prey on other children? And where are they now? These are the predators I've caught. I'm Chris Hansen. Literally 17 years ago this week, I was in Bethpage, Long Island, involved in the very first predator investigation for Dateline NBC. Back then, we weren't even sure what to call it. In fact, when it aired, it was titled Dangerous Web for Dateline NBC. It wasn't a separate show. It was a part of Dateline. So I'm on my way out there to Bethpage, Long Island. We had rented a home. We had partnered with Perverted Justice, the online watchdog nonprofit group, which goes online to pose as teens, decoys, to see if they're approached by men looking for sex from children. They had had a lot of success prior to us finding out about Perverted Justice, but 
This would be the first time that they had partnered with a major television network. They'd done some stories for local news. In fact, that's how I found out about it from a friend of mine in Detroit, Kevin Dietz, who was a reporter for the NBC station there. So we set it up. We had several meetings. And on my way out there, I actually got caught in traffic coming from Connecticut, where I lived at the time, to Bethpage, Long Island, going over the Throg's Neck Bridge. And I started to daydream, started to think, what if nobody shows up? What if I've just spent tens of thousands of dollars of NBC's money and nothing happens? Well, with that, my cell phone rings. It was Lynn Keller, my producer. And she said, where the hell are you? We've got two guys scheduled to show up in 45 minutes and you got to get here. Well, with that, traffic cleared, and I got to Bethpage, Long Island. You know, that first investigation is kind of a blur, and it was a very interesting exercise for me to go back and think about it and review the transcripts and the tapes. Because I'm often asked, was there one predator who you really thought was dangerous? And a lot of times I say, Rabbi David Kay, because he lunged at me. It looked dangerous on camera. It probably looked more dangerous than it actually was. But it's the one that stands out. In reality, though, after giving it some thought, I think the most dangerous predator I ever faced off against was Matt Dooley, a 30-year-old who walked into that first investigation. So I definitely think, looking back, that Dooley was the most potentially dangerous predator I've caught. If you had told me 17 years ago, before our first To Catch a Predator investigation, that A, so many men would be willing to risk their careers, lives, and families to meet a young person for sex, and B, that so many people have apparently uncontrollable addictions and compulsions involving internet chat rooms and porn sites, as well as C, that these investigations, when broadcast, would resonate with our viewers as they have. I would have seriously doubted you, but that is exactly what happened. And that is exactly what happens to this very day. Remember, more kids are online than ever before because of this pandemic. More parents are distracted doing their own business online than ever before. That means there is more opportunity for predators to approach children than ever before and combine that with the fact that the number of social media platforms has exploded and continues to do so in recent years. Along with the proliferation of interactive online gaming, you have a toxic stew, and it's worth thinking about how we protect our kids online. And one of the ways I think we do this is by talking about these cases, understanding the predators, getting inside their heads, and hearing the voices of victims and raising an awareness and dialogue that continues to be necessary in our cyber-activist world. You know, Matt Dooley was the third fellow to walk into that home in Bethpage, Long Island. It was a very modest home on a neighborhood street. This was uh, before law enforcement had a parallel investigation. And it was just us. It was me, the producer, Lynn Keller, the associate producer, Donna Johnson, our security fellow, Ron Knight, who uh, worked for NBC and was specifically assigned to do this and ended up being a very close friend. And 
our camera people, sound people, and Dell and Frag from Perverted Justice. So we get in there, and, you know, I've done many, many spontaneous interviews over the years where I approach somebody without them knowing I'm coming to do an interview and catch them off guard in a way. But this, this took it to a whole new level. The first shoot was relatively simple by today's standards. We had six cameras rigged in this average-sized middle-class home. And once again, I'm worried the whole time that, you know, nobody's going to show up. We'd prepared well, though. We'd done our homework and teamed up with Perverted Justice and had several meetings with Dell and Frag. So we thought we had it put together just about as, as good as it could be constructed. Since the show was being put together by NBC News, which oversaw Dateline, in many cases, we're legally able to film people and use their names on TV without first obtaining their consent. In many cases, when they arrive at our hidden camera house, they've already committed a crime because it's illegal to talk online about sex to an underage teen in almost every state in the country. I was passionate about this assignment. It was my idea. My concept, a lot of smart people weighed in on it to make it better, but I had a lot riding on it, and it hit me on every level. As the father of two then-adolescent boys, I was disturbed that thousands of adults are eager to prey on kids like my own. As a journalist, I felt the issue of online sexual predators was one that we weren't adequately addressing on a national level. Not at all. Not at Congress. Law enforcement was getting into it in a big way, but there wasn't a lot of attention being paid to it on the network level, not in a way at least that I thought was meaningful, not in a way that we could actually insert ourselves in it to actually see the crime happening in real time. And despite organizations like the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, iSafe, and so many others that have made online safety a mission over this last couple decades, kids in many cases just weren't aware of the risks they were facing. And most parents were not sufficiently informed about, you know, predators who were eager to snare vulnerable, trusting, or careless kids whom they met online and ultimately wanted to meet in person. In two and a half days in Bethpage, Long Island, we saw 17 men surface in our investigation, most of whom actually came to the house looking to meet a 13 or 14-year-old boy or girl for sex. As would prove true throughout our investigations, all of them, we netted people from every aspect of life, every social strata. There were men who seemed creepy and others who held positions of trust in the community. I've done a lot of spontaneous interviews in my career in which I approach someone in a public place who's usually the focus of an investigative report and start asking questions. These people have ranged from gypsies involved in sweetheart swindles to a doctor caught in a hidden camera investigation into sex tourism in Cambodia. Even though I have the element of surprise on my side, I also have my heart in my throat. And that was the case in Bethpage as well. And this story took that art of interviewing to a level I'd never experienced before. The men who came to our house were extremely eager. They had all chatted online with a perverted justice decoy posing as a young teen, home alone, and open to the idea of a sexual encounter. For many of these men, a liaison like this was the fulfillment of a fantasy, born in chat rooms and porn sites over the course of many months or even years. 
The excitement and nervousness any one of these guys was feeling was about to collide with the energy and anxiety we were all feeling inside the house. Imagine this environment. We had a camera crew. Good guys I'd worked with all around the world, jammed into a back room, hunched over monitors in a makeshift control room. Upstairs in a hallway, Dell and Frag from Perverted Justice were working in the chat rooms, lining up the visits, and then providing us with the chat logs that I would use in the confrontations. There were two more camera crews who stayed in the shadows. These were the guys who walk out for that classic scene when the Predator first realizes he's on camera and I announce who I am. Ron Knight had gone through the home the day or two before and done a security assessment. He went so far as to, you know, make sure I had the kitchen counter between me and the Predator. And he also went ahead and did things like take knives out of the drawers in case the situation rolled out of control. Well, the first guy comes in and I'm just trying to keep my heart in my chest. And I get through it. I have the transcripts and we have the interview and he leaves. The second guy comes in. I do the interview. He leaves. Now, these guys just are in the wind at this point because, as I said earlier, law enforcement was not there doing a parallel investigation. The third guy shows up. Now, this transcript is a little more graphic, a little more aggressive. And at this point, things were getting chaotic because the guys were showing up quickly with not a lot of time in between. And the transcripts were spread out all over a dining room table. And I was trying to figure out with DJ Donna Johnson and Lynn Keller who was next and make sure I had the right transcript for the right guy. Well, I got it messed up. So I walk out there to confront the third guy, the guy whose name was Matt Dooley. His screen name was Dark Hero 73. And I had the wrong transcript. So I walk out there and I said, well, it says right here that you wanted to do this, this, and this to a 14-year-old named Suzanne. No, it's not me. Go back, get another transcript. Um, you were here to meet a 12-year-old named Sarah. No, that's not me. The third time I come back, I said, okay, a 13-year-old named Beth. Yes, that's me. Okay, we can continue the investigation. And they actually, a few years later, when I wrote the book about the predator experience, they put that video all together, those confrontations all together. And as dark as these stories are and as important and frightening as these stories are, those moments of levity still shine through. And this was definitely one of them. But that moment of levity was about to turn because this this guy was a tough customer, this Dark Hero 73. The transcript was very, very graphic. At one point, Dark Hero 73 says, I want to be your master so badly. The decoy says... I've only been with one guy, Dark Hero. That's okay. I'll tell you exactly what to do. You'll be fine. Are you going to pose nude for me, sweetheart? Decoy says, maybe if you're really good. When he walks into the kitchen, Dark Hero 73, Matt Dooley, talks briefly with Del Harvey, who is the decoy at the time, posing as a young girl. He walks around the kitchen for a few minutes, looks anxious, taking instruction from Dell, asking where to sit. She says, right over there by the counter. And he asks a couple times, you know, right here under the light. At this point, you know, he 
doesn't even realize what's about to hit him. I walk out. He's surprised. He doesn't know whether I'm the cop or the mad dad who showed up unexpectedly. And he, he doesn't know at this point, certainly, that he's going to end up on national television. When I confront him with the transcript of what he said online, he says, I'm just a lonely guy looking for a date. I ask him what his plan was, and he says, I'm ashamed. I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean anybody any harm. Then he reveals something else about his background. And this started a whole chain of discussions before this story even aired. He says, I'm a schizophrenic man. I, I'm, I'm supposed to see my doctor today. And I'm thinking, you know, what am I dealing with here? Now, I don't want to cast a bad light on anybody with mental illness. And, and I think it's a, a subject that needs to be discussed more. But the reality is, in this volatile situation, it could potentially present a danger to anybody in this room and certainly a danger to a young girl had one been there home alone with this fellow, Matt Dooley, Dark Hero 73. When he figures out what he's walked into, and it doesn't take long, he becomes very combative. He tells me he's just getting his life in order and that I'm going to ruin his life. And I suggested to him that, you know, he was the one who made the decision to come to the house and asked what he would have done had there really been a 13-year-old girl home alone. At that point, Dark Hero 73 was getting very agitated, pacing, and he would walk towards me, then walk away in this passive-aggressive way. Then he tells me, I probably would have just said hello, and how you doing? And maybe we could have taken a ride in my car. That's it. At this point, I'm, I'm blown away. I said, wait a minute, you were going to take this girl for a ride in your car? He became really defensive at this point, like so many of the men I would meet in this situation. I just got out of a mental institution a few months ago. I'm just a guy looking for a girlfriend. That's it. You're going to take a guy looking for a girlfriend and put him on TV and say, oh, he's a pedophile. And I'm thinking, well, that's what we're dealing with here. And then he says, that's what you're going to do, right? Because I came to meet a 13-year-old, even though I didn't do anything. I think that's ridiculous. I think your story is a piece of shit. Well, I think based upon everything we've seen here, we know who the piece of shit is. This goes on for about 30 minutes. Matt Dooley is berating me, my crew. And it doesn't appear that he's ready to go anytime soon. He's going to stay as long as, you know, we'll listen to him. And it's definitely time to go for a couple different reasons. One, he's said everything he's going to say that's constructive. I'm getting anxious that he is starting to look like he could get violent and present a danger to me or the crew. And, you know, thirdly, we had other guys getting ready to show up. And so finally, Ron Knight steps in and he's been hovering around, you know, protecting everybody since the guy first walked in, obviously. And Ron nudges him towards the door and he finally leaves. He's not happy about it. And I had a sense then that we hadn't heard the last of Dark Hero 73. And in fact, I was right. Not by a long shot. More about this predator I've caught in a moment. After our confrontation, we did a background check on Matt Dooley. Not only did it turn out that he had a long history of mental illness, he also had a history with law enforcement. His former girlfriend had been granted an order of protection against him. He violated that order and pleaded guilty to second-degree harassment and contempt. Everyone in the house was 
blown away by the intensity of what had just happened. There was little time to talk about it because more guys were on their way. This particular encounter with Matt Dooley, while it seemed to take forever as it was happening, and later, you know, ended up looking at the tape to be about 30 minutes, was something that we would deal with over and over again as we put that very first predator investigation together and get it ready for air. Now, this was February, 17 years ago. And I remember finishing up that day's work. And I was actually staying at a a nice hotel in Garden City, Long Island, not far away. And I I believe the rest of the crew was going back to their homes. I, I was living in Connecticut at the time, so it would have been kind of a long commute to get back and forth. So I I sat down in the hotel room, tried to process everything that had happened that day, especially with Dark Hero 73. And I went down to the restaurant for dinner and I had a big cold martini and (laughs) sat there and think about it and had a hamburger and went to bed and, you know, slept all right, but knew that I had another day and a half ahead of me of this. And so I got up early, worked out, and got back to the scene. And, you know, as I said, we had a number of other guys show up over the next day and a half, including a New York City firefighter who surfaced in the investigation but never showed up. We confronted him later. But as we started to work towards actually putting this on the air and coming to terms with what we had, there was a big ethical discussion about Matt Dooley and do we use his identity at the time? And... He was making noises to his lawyer and to his family and to anybody who would listen that he might harm himself because this was going to ruin his life. My argument was that he should be identified, and ultimately he was. He identified himself, really, and I'll get to that in a minute. People needed to know who he was, why he was dangerous. And again, remember, there wasn't law enforcement involved here, so he never faced charges in this case. He was just out. He was attending a broadcast school in Connecticut in hopes of getting an internship at a sports radio station in New York City. He was living in Queens in in an apartment there after getting out of a mental health hospital. And the debate went on for weeks and months. And ultimately, in that very first episode, we just used his screen name, Dark Hero, and we blurred his face. And the story aired. And he actually did an interview with Joey Teacap. Now, if you don't know who Joey Teacap is, he is a fellow, and we're going to have him on the show in the very near future, in one of the next few episodes, who follows closely all things related to my predator investigations. He's a great guy, he's very knowledgeable, and he has produced a lot of YouTube content, done a lot of follow-up work, and essentially has created a community of followers who keep track of what has happened to these fellows who have surfaced in my predator investigations. And I stay in touch with him. And he's a fascinating character, as you'll see in a future podcast episode. But he does an interview with Matt Dooley. Matt Dooley identifies himself in this interview. And he he talks about what happened to him and why he thinks it happened to him. And it's clear that he is still suffering from mental health issues. We're going to play some of this interview with Joy Teacap as part of this episode in a minute, but he starts out rambling about 9-11. So remember, this is 2004, three years after 9-11, and links his 
being snared in our investigation to George Bush, his re-election campaign, to E-Trade and some mysterious power that lured him in because he knew the secrets of Wall Street and people didn't want to let those secrets out. And so he was targeted by Dateline for that reason. None of it makes sense, obviously, but clearly he wasn't getting the help he needed. Take a listen to this. I was indeed targeted by the program NBC Dateline. And I don't know specifically the cause. However, I do know that it was, of course, in New York City three years after September the 11th, 2001. And the president at that time, George W. Bush, was running or preparing to uh, run for re-election. I also believe that uh, what is known in New York City as Kendra's Law was a factor because the story of Kendra Webdale, who unfortunately was pushed in front of a oncoming subway in New York City uh, by a gentleman, an individual by the name of Andrew Goldstein, was featured on Dateline many times. And myself and many of those around me who were also incarcerated at the Creedmoor Psychiatric Center were, uh, you know, affected by this law where mm -hmm, we, mm -hmm. our, our specific cases had nothing to do with this individual. However, because the assisted outpatient treatment law was created due to the actions of Mr. Goldstein, we were persecuted by that law. I was also attending the Connecticut School of Broadcasting at that time. I believe I was targeted. And for the reasons I just mentioned, the political climate in New York City in early 2004, in addition to my knowledge of what really happened on September 11th, 2001 uh, in Lower Manhattan. Uh, in the summer of 1994, I had opened an account with the online brokerage E-Trade. I, right. I was one of the first customers of E-Trade, uh, which is now a household name, uh, I believe. And at the time, there was only one online, uh, one other online broker in existence. So I think what Mr. Hansen did with his program to catch a predator was uh, utilize it in a way to deter people from looking at the stock market, NASDAQ level two, the New York Stock Exchange, because those electronic exchanges work in a similar manner and the interface is similar. He talks about his time in the Creedmoor Psychiatric Center and says that he and others there were affected by Kendra's Law. And what he refers to apparently is the situation where Kendra Webdale was pushed into a subway by a fellow who was later convicted of the crime. And there was a law named after her in her honor that kept a closer track on violent offenders. And it was Dooley's rambling opinion that he and some other people in that psychiatric institution were affected by this law. None of it really makes a lot of sense. 
He goes on about having knowledge about September 11th. He talks about opening an E-Trade account in 1994 and that he had some knowledge, as I mentioned earlier, about how Wall Street secretly worked. And then he goes on to blame me for a lot of his problems, saying that what I did was meant to deter people from looking at the stock market. And he goes on about interfaces and articles in Forbes magazine, and none of it, none of it really makes sense. The other thing that happened was just a few years ago, Dooley actually takes to his own YouTube channel to continue ranting and raving about how he was framed, if you will, in this case. Now, the interesting thing to me about all this is that the piece could have aired, right, which it did, and nobody would have known his real name. It wasn't until he decided to do the interview with Joey Tcap. It wasn't until he decided to go public with all this. And then he started to harass me on social media platforms. And I first saw this happen, I don't know, about a year, 18 months ago. And I saw this name Matt Dooley pop up and he was just saying nasty stuff. It was, you know, clearly harassment, but didn't rise to the level, I thought, of, you know, notifying law enforcement or anything. And I kept seeing his name pop up over and over and over again. And it dawned on me that, wait a minute, this is Matt Dooley, Dark Hero 73 from the very first Predator investigation. And you'd think this guy would just be quiet and go away. But he's the one who brought all this renewed attention on him. And I think it's important that we view this in a way that brings renewed attention onto the whole issue of mental health and how it may impact the activity we see online. I mean, obviously, everybody wants a simple way to curtail people from predator activity online, from approaching children, harming children from whatever reason. And I always say that, you know, there's no simple answer here, but there is an element here that needs to be addressed. And that is that we don't adequately have treatment in this country for people who do have psychiatric problems, who engage in this behavior. It's not a sexy part of medicine. I can tell you this, after having interviewed you know, medical doctors, psychiatrists who study the field, who have talked to offenders in the prison setting where they have nothing to lose by telling the truth, that there is very definitely a link between viewing pornographic images, especially child-born, and offending. And if a person is caught offending, it's very likely not their first time. And there is very likely a link to viewing child porn before the offense. And that is just part of science. What do we do? Well, not everybody has to be locked up for the rest of their life. We know that. That doesn't always work. Some people do. Some people can have treatment, probation, monitoring, and they'll go straight. Some people will reoffend, And we've seen that several times in the course of our investigations and the hundreds of men who've surfaced in the investigations. So again, because we don't have a treatment plan that works, a punishment plan that works, 
it comes down to awareness, dialogue, and prevention and demand reduction. So we need to educate our kids. We need to remember that this is an issue. We need to know the warning signs. Just the other day, and I'm interviewing the sheriff's deputy tomorrow for another show, a young woman, a 14-year-old girl in in, um, Florida went missing after meeting a 22-year-old online. And he had her in a hotel room. And this deputy, Royce James, in Volusia County, Florida, went door to door to all the hotels he could think of in that area of Florida until he was able to flash the girl's picture to an attendant at a hotel. And the attendant said, look, I think that girl is with a guy in this room. And he went in there and rescued her. But, you know, how many cases go unsolved or undetected, unreported? And I think we'd find that that number is staggering. So what's the lesson of Dark Hero 73? Well, in this case, it's that he's still out there. He claims he's never offended again. We have no information that he's broken the law, aside from his illegal contact with the former girlfriend. Does he still pose a danger? I'd like to hear from him, I suppose, and I venture that I will, one way or the other. We've heard from him in his interviews with Joy Teacap, as well as his own podcast. And you can determine whether he presents a danger or not. What I can tell you definitively is that as long as there's an internet, as long as there are these social media platforms that are vastly unregulated, there will be opportunities for predators to approach kids online. And we will continue to do these investigations. You know, in the very beginning... After we did that first investigation, we did a second one pretty soon after the first one aired, within months. And we got to the third one, and we decided to do a fourth, and I thought, well, nobody's going to show up on this one. People already know. It's been out there. People have seen it on, on Dateline. Nobody will show up. And here we are, 17 years after that first investigation, almost to the day. And we just finished another investigation in Genesee County, Michigan, where we saw a prison guard surface, a state employee who had done work inside the governor's mansion, a former police officer from Lebanon, and an engineer in the auto industry. And I venture to say, if we were to go out tomorrow, we will see it all over again. So think about all that. Think about Dark Hero 73, the danger he poses, And think about the discussion you need to have if you have children, if you know people who have children. And just be aware when you're online because you don't know. You might be talking to one of the predators I've caught. I'm Chris Hansen.